All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be called your children by grace through the inheritance we receive through Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that you guide the speaker and have the Spirit help us understand what you want us to know tonight, whatever your message is for us. And most of all, Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become one of us, to become our brother, to take our place on the cross once for all. We ask that you never help us, help us never become familiar with this amazing truth and help us live in that reality. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. All right. I'd like to start this way this evening. Faith is the only way to comprehend the supernatural things of God. That might seem simple, but I think we all uh, go around it at times. Faith is the only way to comprehend the supernatural things of God. And a person only receives the gift of faith when he's humble and humbles himself before God, and even asks for that faith, which is a a very good thing to do. So we've been talking about sanctification and how the way to sanctification is the same as the way to salvation, which is faith. So the same way that we became born again and saved is the same way that we, we grow and are set apart for Him and mature and find His peace and, and all that. It's by faith. Uh, the core verse we've been going through in Romans one seventeen, right? From faith to faith, the righteous man will live by faith. So how does one become righteous in God's eyes in this life? How does he live in the righteousness of Christ? Only by faith. Um, we, we, in our human uh, minds, in our finite minds, we think it's by something we can construct or accomplish and do. But it's when you abandon all that and you go to God by faith and say, I can't do it, and I have to trust you to guide me every step of the way. It's only when we do that thing that we can experience the supernatural life and uh, bring Him glory with our righteousness. So we talked about last week on the board, humility and the supernatural life. It's only that person with a humble attitude of surrender that receives the utmost grace of God. And that, you cannot underestimate that statement right there. And this goes for us all the way through our lives as believers. It's only that person with a humble attitude of surrender that receives the utmost grace of God in his experience, in this life. It's the humble person that lives by faith, Romans 1.17, making that life righteous in the eyes of God. For every perfect gift is from above, James 1.17. That's a nice string of pearls right there. Um, and an attitude of surrender is something that is constantly needed. And we can always get to a new level of surrender because, you know, you might say, oh, I, I'm surrendering already. Mm-hmm. God could name a hundred things right now that you're holding on to, that you're not surrendering in that area, that you don't know of yet, and that's okay. But this is the, the 
progress. This is the pattern, um, a surrendering attitude, and then you receive the grace of God more and more. The Spirit used the supernatural doctrine last week called the Trinity, uh, specifically the three persons of the Godhead being one. And he gave us that as an example of how we can't figure out spiritual things without his supernatural help. The Trinity, according to the Bible, is three persons, but one Godhead. It's impossible for the human mind to fully articulate the Trinity. How, how, how great is that? I mean, you could be a Bible scholar for 50 years and not be able to fully articulate the Trinity. Faith strives in the absence of human comprehension. So thank God that he doesn't allow us to fully comprehend supernatural things in this life because we'd, you know, get a little bit puffed up. We think we wouldn't need faith to simply trust in him, right? And to go forward that way without the answers. And that's what we hate because we want to be in control. But brain cramps in the spiritual life are a good thing. God purposely made these things supernatural, and even with his word and his spirit, he only reveals so much at a time to us that we can handle. And he keeps some mysteries reserved at all times so faith can strive or even thrive. So we also talked about last week supernatural faith. It's actually good that you can't figure out the supernatural. For example, the Trinity. This failure to figure it out forces faith's hand in you. Faith must be tested in a believer for it to consummate the confidence necessary to persevere. That is a necessary vital process in sanctification. Again, faith must be tested in a believer for it to consummate the confidence necessary to persevere. We've seen in 1 Peter 1, 7, the proof of your faith. <clears throat> if you say, God, why won't you show me why I'm suffering? Well, the answer is because it would no longer need faith. How many of you have ever asked that question? Why can't you just show me? I, didn't, I don't think I did anything wrong, right? We always go there first. I don't think I deserve this. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But we want to know why. We just want to know why. Is that going to help you sleep at night? Or is it going to help you sleep if you just trust God and put it in His hands? And what brings God glory? What brings God glory is not knowing and still going through it in contentment. We bring God the most glory when it makes the least sense, you might say. When you're going through something that is totally unfair or totally doesn't make sense, or maybe, maybe we're talking about a child suffering, uh, a young child suffering from some sickness or, or whatever, makes no sense. You can't rationalize or understand what God's reason might be for that. Okay, But that's where is, is the greatest chance to bring God glory, when we trust him in those totally hopeless uh, what we might see as meaningless situations. So on Resurrection Sunday, a verse came out that reminds us of the substance of faith. Go to Hebrews 11, verse 1, please. 
<clears throat> Bear with me tonight. I got a little bit of a chest cold. Hope I'm not spitting anybody. <laughs> Watch out, front row. Hebrews 11.1. 1. So, it, it's all about faith when it comes to um, sanctification and bringing glory to God. It says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. One translation actually says faith is a substance. So even though we can't see it, it's a substance. It is a real substance that we can have if we ask of God. And it'll give us more and more and more. And then look at verse 2. For by it, talking about faith, the men of old gained approval. By faith, the men of old gained approval. And if you go on to read the rest of Hebrews 11, you see these amazing things that the Old Testament believers did. What we're talking about is experiential righteousness. They lived in the righteousness of God. They did it by one way only, and that was faith. It wasn't them going out to do works. It was them living by faith. And because they lived by, by faith, they walked in the works that God put right in front of them. See? So it's a huge uh, uh, differentiation there. Um, amazing works that were done in Hebrews 11. And it says by faith in almost every verse. If you look down at each verse, it says by faith. Abraham, by faith. Noah, right? By faith, these men did these things. By what? What's in verse 1? The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of of things not seen. Not seen. So the righteous man shall live by faith, right? He'll experience sanctification and produce good fruit for the Lord only by living by faith. And then we saw in John 4.24 what supernatural faith is all about. Go to John 4.24. <clears throat> you must resolve yourself to the fact that faith is supernatural. You see, that uh, you can't even conjure it up by your own willpower. It's something that you ask God for. It's a gift you already received at salvation, and it's a gift we continue to receive if we continue to ask and let Him know we need His supernatural power. Like John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And that verse is impregnated with much of what the spirit had to say about the fullness of the Trinity as well last week. But we might summarize it this way on the board. Supernatural worship in John 4.24. Fellowship with the Father is through Christ, who is also known as the truth. This is assured at salvation, but continues as the basis for sanctification. At salvation, a man's human spirit is made so that he can comprehend spiritually appraised things. That's why it says in this verse, you must worship God in spirit and in truth. This is not possible for unregenerate man. 
This is not possible for the unbeliever who is not born again. But when you submit or surrender to Christ by faith and you're born again and you receive the Holy Spirit, you now have the power of God in you to understand these supernatural things. And you must surrender to these things if you're going to grow and if you're going to learn and comprehend supernatural things. The humble believer is willing to be sanctified by God, submitting to his work in him. And that comes from submitting to the spirit and truth. You know, so much of the spiritual walk is an issue of submission and surrender. Right? We went through that with the filling of the spirit. So much of the spiritual walk, learning truth, being guided by the spirit, it's all about surrender which is humility, right? And when we do that thing on a daily basis, he can release certain truths to us. As opposed to, on the board, self-sanctification. True faith is a surrender in total recognition of our own inability to be spiritual. And that, by the way, should set you free right there, right? Just admit that you don't have the ability to be spiritual. Stop trying to be spiritual or to figure God out. The self-sanctifier puts God in a box via some form of human rationalism, then makes his choices about that perversion of God, which is really a different God. So it's easy to do that thing. We've all probably been there. To put God in a box, to picture him a certain way, and say this is how it should work. This is how the spiritual life should work. Or this is how I'm comfortable having it work. I'm not comfortable going totally by faith over there because I can't see. But the true way is through surrender and to admit your inability to be spiritual. As Pastor mentioned last week, are we going to let the flesh block the view of our new creature? We have that battle going on until the day we die. As Paul says in Romans 7, You know, he goes through that battle, doing the things he doesn't want to do, not doing the things he knows he wants to do. Whenever I lose sight of God or the gospel or my position in Christ, it's really just your flesh getting in the way and blocking your view of God. That's what's happening. And that's why change of perspective is important, right? What's a change of perspective? Look at it from a different angle, right? So if the flesh is in your way and you know the flesh is in your way, How about taking a step to the side and and looking around? You know what I mean? It takes that cognizant um, awareness of the situation you're in when you're falling into the flesh and that ability or that willingness to step out, right? And say, okay, Lord, wipe that clean. Change my perspective. Put the new glasses on me. Otherwise, you'll be frustrated. So we also talked about frustrating sanctification last week. Until you surrender... Your flesh is literally standing in the way, blocking your view of God. Surrender means living the gospel reality, enjoying the truth of our position in Christ. And that very thing becomes our sanctification. You know, it might seem too simple. I don't know, you know, what you might be thinking right now, but it is simple. It's supposed to be simple. The righteous man will live by faith. 
the faith of a child, right? Who brings a God the most glory? The one that lives by faith. It's not meant to be a complicated, high-tech thing, intellectualized thing. So God's got a great life for us planned, but it involves surrender, living in the gospel reality, enjoying our status, our position in Christ, and that becomes our sanctification every day. We're more and more set apart in our souls for God's glory. So it's a deep but simple point, and I think that's what God is looking for. Surrendering allows us to live in and enjoy the reality of the gospel. You know, for you to say, I can't do it, that's a big step. For you to stop striving in your flesh to please God, that's a big step of admittance to saying, I need Him. I need, I need your power to enjoy the reality of the gospel each day. All your Father wants you to do, think about this, is enjoy the reality of the freedom that you now possess every day. So what's getting in the way? The flesh, right? But if we had the faith of a child, wouldn't we be enjoying that victory every single day much more? So it's really pretty simple. This is a believer living in the victory and reality of Jesus Christ resurrected. Resurrection Sunday. Living in that every day. Do you remember the first time you learned that Christ paid for every single sin you'd ever commit? And that if you just trust in him, you'll, you'll be saved forever? Remember the first time you learned that? Remember the first time you learned that he was resurrected from the dead and he has a new body that's perfect and that you are destined to have the same body by inheritance? So that's the daily remembrance that he wants us to have of that victory because that's where the freedom lies. And that's how we're sanctified. So we can live in his victory and be purified that way or we can be purified by suffering. And we both need, or we all need both, right? We can live in the victory and just by that be sanctified, okay? But also we need some suffering along the way, don't we? Because none of us is perfectly obedient. And we talked about last week how if we're obedient, you know, that's a smoother path. And God sanctifies us that way. But then we all have our limit, right? We all have our limit. We're like, I'm trying. This is, this is all I can obey right now. And there's certain areas that we don't obey or submit. And God says, okay, I've got I to gotta wean some things out of you. I've got to burn some slag off, as we talked about. We'll talk about it again. We need some suffering here. As a loving father disciplines his children, and he disciplines every child, that's his. That means every child needs it. Right? So we can live in the victory and be purified that way, and then we need a little help from God. <laughs> the whole thing is help from God, but you know what I mean? The suffering part, the discipline part. But the easier way is to fix our hope on Him every day, to fix our hope on the resurrection every day, to not let the things in the world get us down because it's so, so temporary to have our mind on the things above where we're going to be forever and ever and have that confidence in that inheritance. That's where it lies. That's where sanctification is, right there. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Let's see a glimpse of this 
uh, proper attitude, if you will, that is the very means to being sanctified or purified. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. Obviously, the emphasis is on verse 3. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself. That's sanctification. Right? Where is your hope? Where's your focus? Where's your faith? It reminds me of Colossians 3, where it says, Keep your eyes on him, keep your eyes on the things above, right? Where Christ is seated. That's the way to sanctification and to being purified from this world. Purified from this world. So some of it we receive by faith, by living in faith. And some of it we need that suffering to test us and to get the garbage out that's in the way. But we're talking about either way uh, reaching a state of being with God. A state of being sanctified living in this reality. And we can enter that by faith. So we saw again last week, a pastor brought us this point last Thursday, sanctification simplified. Sanctification is a state of being, not a series of checkboxes. Being implies doing. However, the opposite is not true. And that is a very important statement right there. Being implies doing. However, the opposite is not true. First, we have to be. We have to be in sync with God. We have to be in His presence, in His mindset, in His love. And then we're able to do amazing things by faith. Being in love, being grateful, being hopeful, being confident, etc. These are the essence of sanctification. This is where He's trying to take us to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 on the board. He's trying to take us to the fruit of the Spirit. He's trying to take us into love, into joy, into peace, into all these facets of the Spirit. And once we are there, once we, we be, once we're in that, then that is sanctification. Then the, the works just follow. You know what I mean? The good deeds, the, the fruit in your life follows but first we have to be sanctified. And it's really a simple thing. So he wants us to be in these things on the board. He wants us to rest in these things. To make them our own, so to speak. Let them become you. Faith does the work in our lives, not the other way around. That's the point. Faith does the work in our lives. And then it's inevitable, the good that comes from that faith. We don't do the fruit of the Spirit on the board, right? We can't do those things. You can do it, but you'll be acting religiously. 
He wants you to be those things. Those things on the board are the estate of sanctified man. That, that's what it looks like to be sanctified, to live in those things. And that's what God has planned for all of us. So the sanctified believer become, becomes these things. If the Holy Spirit is the host of the spiritual life, which he certainly is, being transcendent, hupervalo, then his fruit in believers must also be transcendent. In other words, it's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural thing. You cannot produce these things. You can produce a human form of it, a fleshly form of it, but you cannot produce these things. They're of the Spirit. They're transcendent. His fruit in believers must also be transcendent. We don't do spiritual things. We are them. We have to become them first. How do we do that? By faith. And then our deeds are merely the evidence that follow forth, that just flow from that. For example, we don't do thankfulness either. We express it somehow. And we saw on Tuesday, being full of the Spirit means being ever thankful. They're, they're, they're direct correlations. So go again to Colossians 3, verse 15. We've seen this verse a few times. It's, it's such a wonderful verse. And if you remember, this passage in Colossians 3 sounds almost exactly like the passage in Ephesians 5 about the filling of the Spirit. The language is very, very similar, right? And what is the key component here? Thankfulness. Colossians 3.15 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to the Father. And Pastor pointed out last week, notice the first statement in verse 15 is the most intimate, where it says, be thankful. Be. It's a state of being. Either you're thankful or you're not, really. But how do you get that? How do you, it's by faith, and only by faith, that God will grant you these things, grant you his way of thinking. And that leads us to verse 16 and 17, where we can live in thankfulness and give thanks. So it's transcendent. The fruit of the Spirit is transcendent. And it exists in the heart of a man who follows God. <clears throat> On the board again. If we are to understand true sanctification, we must understand that it cannot be achieved in the absence of a grateful heart. And the cross is the mainstay of a believer's gratitude. If you're ever lacking gratitude, just look to the cross again. Take a moment, close your eyes, think about the cross. Think about how Jesus willingly drank that cup for us. And you should be grateful again, even in the midst of suffering. The Spirit pointed out in the past that we've been predestined to suffer. And that doesn't make sense to our human minds that we should be grateful for even that. 
but that is a major way to glorifying God, is to be grateful for suffering. I was telling a friend the other day, um, who's going through a lot right now, just say, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. Even out loud. You want to make Satan angry? You know, which is a good thing, right? Thank you, God, thank you, God. Thank you for this thing. Just praise him. And that very act will set you free, by the way, and will bring God tremendous glory. And it's got to be from the right heart, right? But that's what we're talking about is it's, this is not a human rationalism where you can be thankful or grateful for suffering. But you can be grateful for suffering with the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word if you ask for faith. You can. You can have His power to be grateful truly for whatever He's asking you to go through. So we talked about sanctification, purifying our motivations. And testing by fire burns off impurities. Go again to 1 Peter chapter 1. God will let our faith be tested by fire because it's the only way to burn off the impurities. We're stubborn people, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're really stubborn. I don't care how, you know, <laughs> good you think you are or you don't think you're stubborn. Well, maybe that may, means you're stubborn right there. Like, we're all very stubborn. We hold on to certain things. And we need only, only fire can burn off those things, burn them away. First Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. What's being tested? The proof of your faith, the evidence of your faith, tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation or deliverance of your souls. Paul, or Peter rather, is directly speaking about sanctification here. Look at the result. The deliverance of your souls as an outcome of your faith, the faith to go through suffering, the faith to love him and believe in him even though you don't see him and you'll be delivered in that way. On the board, Pastor mentioned this last week, and I, I wanted to put it up here for you because it wasn't, it wasn't on the board last week, but I really enjoyed it. So <clears throat> what Peter's saying in this verse, that in order to enjoy the benefits of being sanctified, it is God's good intention to burn off the impurities in you, the remnants or the vestiges of sin, so to speak which really is an issue of not trying to dress up the little piggy, not trying to make things look good or make ourselves look good, etc., right? Not trying to hide things with a ribbon and a bow. That's really the issue, but rather changing our perspective about its place in our life. It's about you being somebody different. That's what, God, that's what God's taken us to, out of love. He's taken us through this process, but He's got such a, pure, peaceful place that he wants us to arrive at in this life. 
So again, on the board, Peter's saying that in order to enjoy the benefits of being sanctified, it is God's good intention to burn off the impurities in you, the remnants or vestiges of sin, so to speak, which really is an issue of not trying to dress up the piggy, but rather change your perspective about its place in your life. It's about you being someone different. For some of us who think we have a cup full of goodness to our account, God might look in that cup and light a match and let it burn off because it's not the goodness that he wants. See, we usually don't see these impurities in ourselves. There's a bunch of impurities that we might know of, but there's a bunch that we don't know of or that we're in denial of. So the need, therefore, is for intense heat to separate the good from the bad. And this is a picture of gold being purified by the heat. There's a reason that the Bible keeps using assayer's terminology, like Dokimion in 1 Peter 1.7, gold refined by fire. And Dokimazu in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. There's a process that we have to go through to see what's real and what's not. And God wants to burn off the garbage and make us like gold in this life. So your filth is like slag in assayer's terms. Slag is the glass-like byproduct left over after a desired metal has been separated or smelted from its raw ore. It's the garbage that you can't really see in the metal, in, in whatever that precious metal is, let's say. You may not see the dirt until you melt it down. And then it separates on its own because of the intense heat. And you say, oh, wow, look at all that garbage. Look at all that filth and dirt. I didn't even realize it was in there. And it was taking away from the purity of this gift of God. You know, it was getting in the way. So only heat, intense heat, will do it. So let's say we each have a cupful right now of raw ore precious metals. And God, by sanctifying you, is putting your faith to the test by fire and is purifying you by burning off the slag. In heaven, we're going to be perfect gold, perfect pure gold. But God is trying to purify our cup now in this life in front of the angels as a witness to the angels. I mean, some of you are like, yeah, let's go, let's get there. Lord, just take me, I'm done, right? I know that's my destiny, why can't you just bring me there right now? But he's like, listen, the angels are watching. You don't understand. There's thousands, maybe millions of angels watching right now. Maybe billions, I don't know. Both, both the fallen and the elect angels. And you have this one chance to accept the purification by faith, to trust God even though you don't see what's going on. And you're going to be a witness forever and ever to all these billions of angels. So it takes faith, right? Are you going to believe that? Are you going to picture that by faith, that this is what's really going on instead of, you know, holding back or uh, 
kicking against God's plan? The question is, will we let him use us this way? We can go one of two ways. We can go willingly or not willingly, right? And listen, God loves us. He wants to take us either way to this place of the purity and the peace. But if you go willingly, you see, he's your loving father. He's not like, you know, you're not in prison or something. He's your loving father, and he's saying, come on, just trust me, son. Come with me. Let me take you here. Trust me. Faith. And I'm going to take you somewhere, and you're going to be so grateful, you're going to be so glad that you came along with me. And you trusted by faith and not by sight. Tammy sent Pastor a poem last week from a book she's been reading about King David. Uh, The book is called Treasures from Ivory Palaces by Martha Snell Nicholson. And I wanted to read this again because it's a really great visual of what God's doing. And picture as, as I read this poem again for you, picture that this is a lifetime process, okay? This isn't like you're walking down the street one day and it all happens in 24 hours. This is a decades process, okay? Just keep that in mind. One by one, God took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walk earth's highways, grieving in my rags and poverty. Isn't that us? We get all depressed. We get all self-pity. I can't believe you took this away. Why can't I have this? Grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with the store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. It's really a great picture of purification, if you will, this process we're talking about. And God, in his mercy, doesn't take all the impurities out of us and rip them out of us all at once. It would kill us. We'd give up, right? We'd, we'd lose the faith. But God knows. And so he does it slowly, patiently, lovingly. He weans us off of the bad milk that we're holding on to. And it will be painful at times. But he knows what we can bear, right? In 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, he knows what we can bear. So we have to trust in his perfect wisdom. In keeping with the cup analogy... Ask yourselves, what do we use cups for? They're there to drink from, right? It's a wonderful visual aid for the spiritual life and the cups that God will ask us to drink from. And the things that don't taste so good going down are often the best things for us, right? Medicine, for example. Apple cider vinegar, for example. It's really good for you but try taking a straight swig. These things are good for you, like really good for your inner being, right? These are the, whatever, they're healing to your bones, and yet they don't taste good going down. So God knows, and he's like, will you just trust me? That's God's purpose in sanctification. He knows what's good for us, and he knows we'll thank him in the end too. Just like your little child will Thank you later for bringing them up properly. So the question is this. Will we thank him while we're going through it? 
while we're drinking his cup. Thankfulness and the filling of the Spirit, right? They're really two sides. They're really the same system of thinking. Will we be grateful while drinking the cup he asked us to drink? That's what brings glory to him in front of the angels. So we're talking about drinking cups. God fills our cups, purifying the contents as he sanctifies us, removing the slag. And we drink from it throughout our daily lives. Let's go to Matthew 10, verse 38 again and see a couple examples of this. God is going to ask us to drink from certain cups throughout our lives at certain times. And it's such a wonderful thing to accept it. In the spiritual realm, it's a wonderful thing to accept it. In Matthew 10, 38, Jesus was talking to the sons of Zebedee. He said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Now here on the board, when Jesus said the cup that I drink, Jesus was talking about suffering and even death. No one, however, has been sanctified to the degree that Jesus was through suffering. And that means suffering is a definite part of sanctification. If it's part of his life as our example, it's going to be part of our life. We must drink that which God places in our cups. We must be like the Lord, who said, Yes, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Go to John 18, 11. Yet not my will, but your will be done, right? That's drinking from the cup that the Father has placed before you the one who knows all things and the one who loves you perfectly? John eighteen eleven. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? In other words, this is meant to be. This is part of God's plan for me. Shall I not accept it? And Paul used the same analogy uh, with the Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 21. 1 Corinthians 10.21 Paul tells the Corinthians it is morally inconsistent to drink from two different cups. He said you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. That reminds me of that verse that says you cannot serve two masters. Right? They're two different cups. They're two different plans. So we've been talking about drinking in a variety of ways lately. Pastor mentioned on Resurrection Sunday that we aren't to drink of the ways of the world. In communion service, we were reminded that the Lord told us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. So there's a lot with this analogy, a lot of different ways to uh, look at it and apply it. But the idea is of consumption. Kind of like you are what you eat. We've heard that phrase, right? 
It's consumption. What are you going to take in spiritually? What are you going to accept into your soul as truth? Or are you going to eat the lies and drink the lies as well in resistance to God's plan? Here's a question. Do you want to be God's finished product or the world's finished product? You are what you eat. You are what you drink. God's not going to force you. But I think the point is this on the board. If we accept God's cups for us, and if we drink His Word, we will be sanctified and purified that much more beautifully, like pure gold in this life. But that takes accepting our lots in life, too. And if we do that, that gives us freedom, though. See? It's a wonderful uh, fruit that comes of it if we just accept it. It gives us freedom. You know, it's, you could just accept where God has you or wants you to be or wants you to go through, and that in itself gives you great freedom instead of fighting against it every step of the way and be like, but that's not what I want, Lord, right? Like a little kid. It's a choice. But if you just surrender, he'll give you more grace. He'll give you more faith. It takes acceptance. And that's the way to sanctification. Acceptance of God's cup for you or cups for you and not searching for other cups that are easier to drink but deceitful. That's the way to peace with God and sanctification. Accepting his cups for you. Peace. I want to show you on the board a verse that I tried to think of in our Bible study last week. Couldn't find it. We read all of chapter 12 for fun. But this, this was on my mind, and it really hit me. So I put it up here in the NIV because it has a better uh, translation for what we're talking about here. It says, This is what I have observed to be good. This is Solomon speaking. That it, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life, because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. What a wonderful verse. Wouldn't you like God to keep you occupied with gladness of heart so you don't get all worked up about things? Well, then accept his lot for you. Drink his cup. Stop kicking against it. And just let him do his work in you. And he'll give you gladness of heart. But acceptance, which again is really like surrender, is the key. It's the key to sanctification. Remember years ago, the Spirit had us on accepting the condition that we were called in. After all, we're just pilgrims passing through this earth, right? We're here for a walk, a stroll, if you will, and then it's over. So why do we strive to improve our little lives if we're only passing through? Ask yourself that question. Why am I striving to improve my life and make it the way I want it to be or 
I, ha I think I have to have certain things to be happy. Why am I striving to do that if I'm only passing through? Why don't we leave that stuff to God and tend to his business for us in front of the angels and then let him bless us along the way as he sees fit? Right? If you're only passing through, what, what do you got to lose? What are you going to build, like, you know, the guy that built the barns and stuffed everything in the barns? And the Lord said, sorry, buddy, today your soul's required of you. You going to be that guy? So we each have a choice to make every day. Why are we striving to improve something that is a vapor, according to the scripture? So this is also part of our sanctification, being content with God's lot for our lives. Not trying to change our condition to find happiness, but to find happiness in God, allowing Him to change our perspective and therefore our happiness. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Let's read 1 Corinthians 7. It's been a few years maybe that we, since we read this verse. And as you turn there, I'll repeat the point on the board. So this is part of our sanctification, being content with God's lot for our lives. Not trying to change our condition to find happiness, but to find happiness in God, allowing Him to change our perspective and therefore our happiness. 1 Corinthians 7, it's about acceptance. Look at verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commands of God. Each man must remain in the condition, condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. How's that for a line? How's that for a reality? You could be, the worst situation might be to be a slave, okay? Don't worry about it, he says. Accept it. You'll be free if you accept it. What does he want to say? But if you're able to become free, rather do that. Okay, fine. But don't worry about it. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Where? In his soul. Because he accepts the calling of God on his life. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. So in the few days of our lives on earth, we just need to focus on drinking the milk of the word and drawing closer to our God and Savior. We all have to work. We all have to go through certain things in life. But we don't need to let those things worry us or consume us. Stay in the condition you're called. Drink the milk of the word. Draw closer to your God and Savior, who you're going to be with forever and ever. And that's where contentment lies on the board. Herein lies contentment. To be able to sit on the floor in the corner of your room, maybe only with a can of beans to eat, but with a small light in your Bible, basking in the glory of God's word. Take that, Satan. 
That's exactly what Satan doesn't want. And that's exactly what the angels are amazed at. When we have faith, I've said it a million times probably, when we have faith, even though we can't see God, the angels are blown away by that because some of them didn't have faith even though they've seen God their whole creation. And so we sit there smiling, enjoying the Word of God when we have nothing and maybe everything's falling apart around us. That's contentment. That's where God's taking us. He wants us to be sanctified like this, to enjoy this state of the gospel reality. Satan wants us to get spun up about our lives and maintaining them. That's a good word, isn't it? Maintaining them. Because you might be at a point where you're like, all right, I'm not going to chase anything else, but what I have, I want to maintain. I can't, I don't, I'm not going to let any of this go. You know what I mean? And God might be wanting to pluck those things out one at a time, and you're fighting against it for some reason. But, you know, it's the poor that are going to become rich. You know? And uh, you, have to go, you have to be willing to go through the process. Because that's where peace lies and contentment. Enjoying God and His Word is becoming sanctified. Peter refers to the drinking analogy a little bit differently, but the essence of sanctification is still present. Go to uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 2. I only got about five minutes left, so we'll just see a couple more points and then we'll close. 1 Peter 2, 2. So another way to look at drinking the things of God and how it leads to sanctification. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. From faith to faith, right? If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So we are, we are to crave God's word like a baby craves milk. That's where God wants us to be at. Crave his word. Like every day, I got to get a little something. I got I to gotta eat some of this. I have to drink some of this. I got to see what he's going to show me today. On the board, look at the New Living Translation, because this is the way to sanctification, too. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. What's it called? Experiential sanctification. Experiential righteousness. God wants us to grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So one last point that came out um, from last Tuesday's lesson on the board is regarding the apostate. Logically, the person who isn't saved isn't interested in being sanctified. So, for example, if someone's in church or they might be in a seeking or searching mode. But if they're not saved, if they haven't surrendered to Christ by faith, then they're not interested in being sanctified. They don't want to go through this process, in other words. That might involve some suffering or testing. So this is why some people are able to walk away from the faith so easily, like a light switch. It doesn't even bother them. And they may not be saved in the first place. Sanctification involves testing. How many times do we see different verses about testing of your faith or examine your faith, things like that? It involves testing to see where your heart is at. 
So if faith must be tested, then suffering is needed to do that testing, some type of suffering or testing. And God puts us through suffering in order to purify us. For we all show up looking like this guy even after salvation. Right? Even after salvation, we we roll in the mud once in a while. And we want to give up on the spiritual life. We want to do it our own way. But James said, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save or deliver your souls. Only the word implanted, the pure milk of the word of God, is able to save or deliver your souls. And we try to find happiness in all these other ways. You know, we, get, we, we, we uh, look for shortcuts. And the only way to true happiness is through the word implanted in our souls. Only that's going to give us freedom. So I think we'll end there on that point. But just something to think about, you know. Where are you at? If you want to read a verse I was going to go to, which it really is a good thing to um, give you perspective, read 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9. And it will give you the perspective that I think we're all craving. Because we're all craving the things of God, aren't we? I mean, we're craving the peace of God, the peace of Christ. Some days we have it, some days we don't, depending on which roommate we're listening to, right? The old man or the new man. But we're craving the peace of God. And God even tells us how to get it, and we still resist. He's like, you need the word implanted. You need to worship me in spirit and in truth. If you submit to that supernatural way of finding me, I'll give it to you and I'll deliver your souls, and you'll be sanctified. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time to dwell on your word and the way you think and your way of sanctification by faith. Help us, Father, live by faith. Give us more faith by your grace so that we can see the supernatural things and have the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go. Help us take these things out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.